Right, this is the first podcast on Elizabeth, government on Elizabeth's accession. We'll also be looking at social hierarchy. First of all, the government was made up of several different factors. The court is the first one. This was made up of noblemen who acted as the monarch's advisers and friends. They advised the monarch and helped display her wealth and power. These could also be members of the Privy Council. The court were people who lived near Elizabeth. This brings us on to the Privy Council. These were usually about 19 members. They were quite close to Elizabeth and people she could trust. They were made up of the nobility. They helped to govern the country. They monitored and kept an eye on Parliament and oversaw law and order and security of the country. Next one is Justices of the Peace. These were made up of large landowners appointed by the government who kept law and order locally and heard court cases. They were up and down the country. Next one is the Lord Lieutenants. These were made up of noblemen, again, appointed by the government who governed English courtiers and raised the local militia, which was the army for when, which was called up when the country was in trouble. And the last one, finally, which is a good one to talk about because there's quite a few points to it, is Parliament advised Elizabeth's government made up of the House of Lords and House of Commons. House of Lords consisted of noblemen and bishops. House of Commons was elected, although not many people in those days could vote. And they passed laws and approved of taxes, especially extraordinary taxation, which was taxes above normal taxes, which were raised at times of war, for example. Now pause the tape and explain two key features of Elizabethan government. Remember to state what they are and what their role was and any other specific information that you can give to back up your points. Okay, now we're moving on to society on Elizabethan succession. So we've got two aspects we need to look at, social hierarchy in the countryside and one of the town. Now imagine this is a pyramid and the richest people are at the top. So we're gonna start with the top and work the way down. At the top, you've got the nobility who were major landowners, lords, dukes, earls, people with titles. The one below it was the gentry. They owned small estates. They're still quite rich. Below that were the yeoman farmers. They owned large amounts of land. So still wealthy, but not as rich as the other two. Below that were the tenant farmers. They rented land from the yeoman farmers and the gentry. Below that were the landless and labouring poor. People who did not own their own land or rent it. They had to just work for the people who did own it. And they had to provide for themselves and their families. Below that, You've got the homeless and the vagrants, the people who move from place to place looking for work. People at the bottom of the pyramid were a threat because they could lead to revolt at any time if they did not fix the problem of the poor, which we'll come to later on. Right, now in towns, at the top you've got the merchants, traders who are very wealthy, professionals below them, so people who had... Um, professions such as lawyers, doctors, clergymen. Below that were business owners, highly skilled craftsmen such as silversmiths, glovers, carpenters. Next in the pyramid is the craftsmen, skilled employees including apprentices who worked for the business owners usually. Below that you've got unskilled labourers and the unemployed, people who had 
no regular work, could not provide for themselves or their family. These were also a threat at the bottom of the pyramid. That was the way society was. Right, now pause the podcast and explain two key features of Elizabethan society at this time. Remember to say what they were and explain any other key features that stand out to you or that you can use to help support your points. Elizabeth's problems. Legitimacy, gender and marriage. First of all, Elizabeth was very young when she became queen. She was only 21 years old and lacked in experience. Secondly, Elizabeth's legitimacy was in doubt as the Pope had refused to recognise her mother's marriage to Henry VIII. If you remember, Elizabeth's father, Henry VIII, had divorced Catherine of Aragon in order to marry Anne Boleyn, who was Elizabeth's mother. The Pope refused to recognise this divorce, and it wasn't, so therefore it was not a new official marriage to Anne Boleyn. When Anne Boleyn was executed in 1536, Henry excluded Elizabeth from the succession, meaning she wasn't allowed to be queen in the future. Although he reversed this decision just before his death, but some people still would have been impacted by that. Next, Catholics refused to recognise Elizabeth's right to rule England because of the marriage that was not seen as legitimate. Elizabeth was a Protestant. Mary, who was her predecessor, had been Catholic. Elizabeth had to try and please everybody. Many Catholics, especially in the North, disliked this. Henry had taken over the church in 1534 through the Act of Supremacy and he'd got rid of all the monasteries. They questioned Elizabeth's legitimacy, claiming that she had no right to rule. They preferred a Catholic monarch and there was a real risk of rebellion from happening, which we know actually does happen, and plots. Elizabeth was unmarried and it was unusual for a queen to rule in her own right. Christian traditions suggest that women should follow men's authority. Many people disapproved of the idea of having a queen. To pass laws, Elizabeth needed the support of Parliament and she needed government on her side. She needed them for money. She had limitations in her power and that's why it was important to please as many people as she could. Okay, so the key issues here. It was widely expected that Elizabeth would marry. However, this would reduce Elizabeth's power as a husband would be expected to govern the country and deal with Parliament. Next, Elizabeth's inexperience meant she needed the support and advice of her Privy Council, especially the Secretary of State, William Cecil. Thirdly, Elizabeth could issue royal proclamations and had prerogative powers, enabling her to govern without Parliament's consent, especially in foreign policy. However, laws could only be passed with Parliament's approval as Act of Parliaments. This limited some of her power. The problems with marriage is that if she married a Protestant, this would anger the Catholics. If she married a Catholic, this would upset the Protestants. Marriage could involve England in expensive, expensive wars. It could damage royal finances. And the Crown was already £300,000 in debt. There was a problem of poverty in the Crown and poverty in the country from something called debasement in the co of the coinage. But marriage was important, as Elizabeth needed an heir to secure the next person to be king or queen after her. If she died without an heir, the throne could be vacant, and this could lead to a civil war, because there was nobody to take over. Now pause the podcast, 
and explained two problems faced by Elizabeth when she first became queen in 1558. You could look at legitimacy and religion, for example, and explain some of the key points of why this was a major problem. Virgin Queen, character and strengths. You may be asked to describe two key strengths of Elizabeth when she came to the throne in 1558, as well as her problems. So, first strength was Elizabeth was confident and charismatic. This enabled her to win over her subjects and to command the support in Parliament. Remember, she needed support in Parliament because they were the ones who let her have money for, and helped raise taxes for when the country was in trouble and needed it for war. Elizabeth was resilient, means she never gave up. She spent time in the tower accused of treason and faced possible execution when her sister was on the throne. She could cope with the pressures of being queen. Third reason, she was well educated. She spoke Latin, Greek, French and Italian. Fourth reason, she had a really good understanding of politics and knew how to run the country. She understood the interests and ambitions of her subjects, the people in courts and the Privy Council she knew well and she had them close to her. And they were able to use, she was able to use her powers of patronage effectively. Patronage means when the monarch could use the granting of lands, jobs and titles to reward supporters. So she could make somebody an earl, for example. Next one, Elizabeth was Protestant. Her brother Edward had been Protestant and turned the country Protestant. Also, her father had broken away from Rome. There's a lot of Protestants in England who would support her, who was good grounding for that religion to grow. Elizabeth was growing in Protestants, making her position as queen secure. She could claim divine right with growing conviction. Divine right means when God alone had pointed the monarch. So to challenge her was to challenge God. And people were reluctant to do this because of how important religious religion was at this time. Elizabeth was able to use her strengths to reinvent herself as a different type of monarch. She liked to demonstrate that. Even though she was female, she was no ordinary woman. She did not want to be seen as weak. She therefore argued that she did not need to marry and could govern England on her own. By not marrying, it took away the fact that she was a woman and made it seem like she was just one strong monarch on her own. Throughout her reign, Elizabeth was happy to portray herself as a strong, legitimate, popular monarch. She was happy to be called the Virgin Queen, married only to England and not to a prince or king. This would get the support of her country because she's showing her love to her country so much and is again getting rid of anything feminine about her. This is reflected in a lot of paintings that show Elizabeth confident, feminine monarch, rightfully owning the crowned queen. Okay, now pause the podcast and briefly describe two advantages of Elizabeth when she became queen in 1558. You could focus on her use of parliament or her religion as a Protestant or maybe her intelligence and how she portrayed herself. Make sure you can say two and explain fully how this helped Elizabeth in 1558 at the beginning of her reign. Challenges abroad, France, Scotland and Spain. When Elizabeth became queen in 1558, she faced a number of challenges from France, Scotland and to a lesser extent Spain and its influence in the Netherlands, although this becomes more significant later on in Unit 2.
Challenges from abroad facing Elizabeth in 1558. Firstly, the French threat. France was wealthier than England and had a bigger population. Elizabeth's cousin, Mary Queen of Scots, who was a massive threat throughout Unit 1 and Unit 2, had a strong claim to the throne. And English Catholics might rally her if the French invaded. Next, the Old Alliance, spelled A-U-L-D, Alliance was a friendship, basically between France and Scotland. So France's alliance with Scotland threatened England. England was in the middle of these two countries, so there was a fear that they were going to gang up against her. Mary of Guise, James V's widow, who ruled Scotland on behalf of her daughter Mary, Queen of Scots, because Mary became Queen of Scots when she was quite young. They kept French soldiers there who could attack England at any time. The relationship between France and Scotland was further strengthened by the marriage of Francis II, King of France, to Mary, Queen of Scots in 1559. Although Francis died and left Mary, Queen of Scots, a widow, it was also important because she still had the link to the French family, the Guise family, who were the most powerful family in France at that time. Next, war was an expensive business and the crown was in huge debt, £300,000 in debt when Elizabeth came to the throne. That was a lot of money back then. Elizabeth couldn't afford a war with France, Scotland or Spain. It, it would deepen the government's debts even further. So she needed to have a policy that would avoid war at all costs with these countries. Next, France had ended its war with Spain. This was a problem to Elizabeth. French military resources were no longer stretched by war with Spain, make a, making a war with England more likely. So they weren't preoccupied with fighting Spain anymore, which means they could turn on England at any time. There was also the possibility that France and Spain, the two Catholic countries, would unite and gang up against Protestant England, and Elizabeth would feel threatened by all countries around her. Spain also had troops in the Netherlands, right next to England, right on Elizabeth's doorstep. Under the Treaty of Cato Cambresi, England had lost Calais to France, a part which England used to own, the top of France, now gone back to France. This was England's last remaining territory on the continent, and there was pressure on Elizabeth to regain it back to England. However, war with France would prove expensive and dangerous, so Elizabeth left this for the time being. How did she deal with this challenge from abroad? Elizabeth did her best to avoid upsetting Europe's most powerful countries. She tried to avoid war at all costs, remember. She sought to avoid war with France by signing the Peace of Troy, 1564. This was a treaty which recognised once and for all that French claim Calais. So she was happy to let Calais go back to France and not interfere. Elizabeth was able to deal with the threat posed by Scotland by placing Mary Queen of Scots, who fled Scotland in 1568 and she was in custody in England after that time. By imposing Mary and making peace with France, Elizabeth had only one significant threat by 1569, which was Spain and Philip and he owned the Netherlands. So this could be a very serious implication. Please pause the podcast and explain the challenges faced abroad between 1558 and 1568. Write down subtitles, France, Scotland and Spain and see if you can put some points of how they were a threat and how Elizabeth dealt with it.